Welcome to DMs of Vancouver, the show where we talk to our awesome friends and amazing guests about how to help you become a better GM for your tabletop games or review games that we've played recently from a GM and a player perspective. I'm Jesse Boros and my pronouns are he, him. I'm Sean Hagen and my pronouns are also he, him. We're your co-hosts for this podcast and we've got another great episode for you today. This podcast is recorded and produced on the unceded territory of the Coast Salish people, including the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. In recognition of that, we ask that you please support Raven, a charity that helps support Indigenous people throughout Canada. You can find them at raventrust.com. In today's episode, we're talking about Troika. Troika was created and published by the Malsonian Arts Council. Hope you enjoy the show. Roll for initiative! Today's episode is brought to you by Adventure Dice. Adventure Dice is an online dice shop based here in Vancouver, selling a variety of dice and other gaming accessories. Personally, I'm a big fan of their rolling trays and the grounded pixie dice set. Adventure Dice ships for free anywhere in Canada, and if you use the code DMV at checkout, you can get a 10% discount on your purchase. That's DMV for a nice discount on your new tabletop gear. Find the shop at adventuredice.ca and roll for adventure! Okay, so, Troika. Yeah, let's let's be upfront with this one, Sean. We played it quite a bit before we're recording this. So it's, we might be fuzzy on some things, and we want you to know that ahead of time. Yes, it's been a month? Something like that. No, longer yeah. than a month. It's been longer than a month. Yeah, so for for our listeners' reference, we usually do these review episodes within two weeks of, of playing the game and this time it's been due to various life circumstances we're just late in recording this yeah i mean life circumstances and we had we had other episodes that opportunities pop up and we opted to record those instead of this yeah which i, I feel like is understandable yeah so troika this is a, a game that you ran for victoria haley and myself uh, only and- you and victoria haley had to drop out at the last minute Oh, right. Okay. Um, and I remember it being quite fun. It's It has a different character than I think any other role-playing game I've played so far. Yeah, it's... Uh, hmm, how would I describe it? I would describe it as like a weird sci-fi fantasy, with weird being like the main thing about it. Yeah, like there's definitely hints of like Terry Gillum in this, like Brazil, yeah. like... Just that kind of, there's occasionally just something that you go, oh, okay, that's in this game, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I would also say, like, Terry Gilliam, I think Pratchett's stuff is in, like, the strangeness and the comedicness of it is, yeah. like, heavily in it. Um, though I wouldn't say they're a primary influence. That's just a touch point for me. Um, uh, I'm blanking on the name, Sean, but the guy who wrote Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, I know that's another, like... Douglas Adams. Douglas Adams. I think some of his other work is also an influence on this kind of stuff. Uh, but, uh, what do you, what do you remember about playing it, Sean? So, I remember the dice system being a little bit weird at first, um because the way that the dice work is that there's just you only need a d6 and you only need one really because the way that it works is that you're either rolling a d3 a d6 a d66 a d666 and so on but instead of rolling um like instead of needing a dice that's got 66 faces you just roll a d6 twice once for the ones digit once for the tens digit that's yeah 
Yeah, so you technically roll like 2d6 quite often, but I think it does actually work like better to roll it one at a time, right? So you roll first, okay, 63, got it. Um, yeah, it's it's a fun system. It, it is a bit odd. You don't roll d66 very often. I think it might have only even only been for character creation. Yeah, um, and... We'll get into character creation in a second. We need to finish up on the the dice part. So let's see here. I will pull up my handy Troika rules reference. Um, so for a skill, let's see here. Why is skill not? This is a poorly laid out document, at least for my <laughs> uh, my reference. Basically, for any sort of skill, you roll your two d six generally or one d six. Um, and then add a bonus for the skill that you'll have on your sheet. And then if you have an advanced skill, you add a further bonus. Yeah. It's very straightforward math. And like, it's, it's a very simple system that is also very complicated, which is, I feel like is a cop out to say, but it's the best way to describe it, I think. Yeah. And like, I, I guess like to explain that cuz i feel the same way cuz let's let's start talking about the the character sheets because the, like the or the they're not really classes but the character generation so character generation is fairly straightforward like everybody starts with some basic stuff um you start with uh, you roll to determine your skill roll to determine stamina roll to determine luck and you, everybody starts with some basic uh, possessions, which are some silver, a knife, a lantern, some oil, a rucksack, and six provisions. And then you roll on the background table to figure out what your background is and whatever extra possessions and advanced skills you might have. And I have to say that like going through this list of backgrounds slash classes, I think is where like the weirdness of Troika first becomes apparent because it is also one of the first things that you you encounter reading through the rules like you get to this this list of character classes before you learn about the like what the skills are what they're used for how to do spells how to like what are you rolling dice for it's character creation and then this big old list of backgrounds um and hey for fun's sake i'm going to just click this random character generator and i'm going to tell you about one random character and I, it should be i guess noted that a lot of the uh equipment that you start with is also part of your background yeah um oh my god so uh stowaway that's, a, that's just a name but it's you know 16 stamina 12 luck six skill um description you've stowed away on a ship hidden among the barrels unfortunately you've been unloaded in an unknown port this is Actually, no, this is not a good example. This is based off of a... Ah, I see. The problem with the generator I've found is that it uses uh, not just the the basic ones, and so it has some very uh, standard fantasy-setting ones. <laughs> so I'm going to turn to a random page. Well, uh, I, I, I can also just read the one. I remember what, what background I had. Yeah, go ahead. So the background that I got uh, was 53, Sorcerer of the College of Friends. 
Uh, and the description is, as an integral part of your tutelage in the subdimensional academy of the cordial wizard god, you spent your childhood learning about the fate of pixies, the color of magic, ritual grammar, and endless other theoretical topics. Now that you're out in the world, discovering that your education hardly accounted for any of the things that you've seen. And uh, start with the pointed wizard hat you received at graduation, a pocket full of wizard biscuits, and a wand uh, now kept for sentimental reasons. And then the list of skills. And I have to say that, like, when I first, because I used the random character generator as well, and when I, or I can't remember if we rolled or not. Anyways, but when I got this, at first I was like, this feels, this is kind of weird. Like, what is, what is this? And like, the images for the, the the backgrounds are, I want to say a little off-putting. Just something about the art style to me is weird in a way that like short circuits my brain a it's little like bit. It's like quasi-abstract, but not quite. And it's I think it's meant to be um, not necessarily appealing. Um, yeah. Appealing for a certain subset. It also, like a lot of them look like they're just drawn with pen and highlighters. Yeah. Um, which is like definitely as an aesthetic choice and not a knock on the aesthetic itself. Um, I'm gonna pick pull up another character because th- this is the thing for me. Like why I wanted to do it is just scrolling through these and reading on some of the characters was fun. So uh, for 31 Gremlin Catcher, no matter what country, sphere, or abstract dimension you may find yourself in, be assured that gremlins are there, digging their warrens and bothering nice people willing to pay you a shiny penny to bash their little heads in. Your possessions include a small but vicious dog, flat cap, a cube, sack, 1d6 empty gremlin jars, and a jar with a pissed off gremlin inside. And (laughs) I have to say there are some weird ones in here. Like the the last one, if you roll a 66, you get zone throat. And the description is at some point (laughs) in your past, you decided you didn't need it anymore. You found a zoanthropologist and paid them well to remove your troublesome forebrain and elevate you to the pure and unburdened beast you are today. Possessions. No starting possessions. You have thrown off the shackles of civilization. You are probably nude. (laughs) It's like, that's such an out there concept for a background that's just like, you are practically an unthinking beast. Like, yeah, how... How does that work out when you're actually playing? It's just like you can talk, you just choose not to most of the time. Like uh it it leads to a weird time. Yeah. That's the thing. Um I want to go over how you actually make a character cuz we talked about uh using a generator, which is fine, but if you're building a character out of the book, Sean, do you remember how long it took you? It's literally like 5 minutes. Yeah. So you roll a d6 and basically I think divide all the whatever you have in half and then add three for your skill, which is what you add to every skill roll. You roll 2d6 uh, plus 12 to determine your stamina. And I think this is the only time that 2d6 is not actually a 66. Um, and then you roll six and add six for your luck. Um, yeah. You get your baseline possessions and then everything else about your character is part of the background you get. Yeah, and there's a little bit in here on how to create your own backgrounds, but then the next... 66 pages is all of the backgrounds (laughs) and they're uh an absolute horrifying delight yes they yeah and i think this is where like that brazilness started to like really come to the fore for me is there's some of these are just something that i would you'd, you'd see in the background of a scene in brazil or something it's just they're weird I mean, one of them, one of my favorite ones is just the vengeful child. 
and like your village was burnt down by ruffians or your mother was beheaded by snake cultists or your father was hung by corrupt officials either way you took umbrage and entered the world with a chip on one soldier and an oversized sword on the other <laughs> your positions are a too large sword that provides plus one to longsword fighting and damage while using it only you may benefit from this bonus it's not magic just sentimental and an old hunting bone with 12 arrows <laughs> yeah and i think this is one of those like this wide variety and the fact that character creation is so easy i i liked it because it it kind of prepares you for like if your gm or if the game that you're running is going to be like i can't remember how deadly trike is because i don't think we got into much combat it's deadly yeah so character creation being so simple is like oh you're probably going to get to experience a bunch of these unless you somehow manage to avoid most combat like me and tori did yeah well that's the thing right like so the adventure that i ran from you which is included in the pdf for the game and presumably also the book right so actually sean if you're curious about it you can go and look at it near the end um what is it called here the blanc mange and thistle it's basically the players show up at a hotel like a fancy hotel um and there's like some sort of religious or cultural celebration going on that's like a huge deal they manage to get the last room in the hotel but they've got to share and the adventure is getting to your hotel room with all of this chaos going on as people have gathered here from all over the multiverse i guess um and so uh let's see the memorable i think your first encounter was the old lady in the elevator who gave you a bonbon yeah um but then there was the gas form who didn't realize that you needed to breathe, so just sits there unless you somehow communicate to it to like shrivel up <laughs> or constrict itself. Yeah. Um, and like, I think you guys managed to uh, figure out a way to like stick your head out of the top of the elevator for the ride, but like that could have very easily killed you on its own. Yeah. Um, so the, ga- the game is made uh, to be pretty deadly. But like any game, if you uh, you know if you try to avoid it, you can figure out ways to avoid it. Or even like I think in me and Tori's case, we didn't even realize that it was supposed to be deadly. It was just the way that we happened to play that day was we leaned into the like college of friends and using my like friendship making spell and stuff like that. Yeah, whereas Tori was a monkey wrangler or monkey monger, right? That's what. Yeah, what she ended up rolling. So she had a bunch of companion monkeys that she were very sleepy, which was also a random role uh, that she like led around. And her whole thing was getting them to the the room safely so they could go to sleep. Um, But yeah, that's that's the thing that I think is neat about it is the backgrounds. um, They very much inform your character and what you're going to do in a lot of ways. So you might roll up a party that's just like, do we want to fight? No, we want to just run away (laughs) or have a good time. Make friends. Yeah, and I remember thinking as we were playing that one of the strengths of this game is that it's there is a lot in the rules. Like there is a list of spells, there is like quite a few pages on like how to attack and how to heal yourself and encumbrance and all of this stuff and descriptions on what all the skills are and what they're for and some limitations and stuff like that, but it really felt like as we were playing that the the game has a lot of space for just like 
playing around with what it is that you have and coming up with stuff on the fly. And it definitely has some of that like narrative DNA that feels like there's more room to play around with. Yeah, it's it's very well, it's like we said before, which again is kind of a combo. It's both very simplistic and very complicated. So there are rules and there's lots there's quite a bit to them, but they're also straightforward and like because it's you only really need 1d6 to play, you're never going to you know, you don't have to look for uh, you know, two sets of dice for this certain thing to like try and figure out a percentage or anything like that like you just roll on a table or you know you roll your d6 plus your skill yeah um but i think also like it's just a bunch of fun like i think it's just built it's built to be fun and weird and, and like a good time playing it but like i see also though like like i said earlier i was on the generator and it like made a very kind of stock fantasy character like I see how you the engine for this game could very easily be used for other types of games. The weirdness is uh, a product of the writing for the book, but not necessarily baked entirely into the mechanics, uh, which is also cool because if you like this game and you have a good time playing it, but you want to play something that's a bit more, you know, serious or uh, less kind of wacky, you can do that pretty easily. Yeah. And the, I have to say that like getting used to the idea that like you only need a D6, when you first hear that, it does feel a little limiting, but they've done some smart things with it. Like one of the things that they did that I really liked is that the damage roll for your weapons, it's not, there's no complicated math. There's no like, oh, roll 2D6 and divide by three plus one to get your damage if you're using a sword versus 2d6 plus three if you're using a great sword like there's not no division no multiplication there's simply a chart where you roll one to six or if i guess some weapons can have you roll more because you get a seven there's a seven plus oh that's probably for ability. a skill or yeah yeah and so it, it and it tells you like okay if you rolled a one on a sword that's four damage on an axe that's two damage on a hammer that's one damage like it tells you what the damage is on a roll from one to six so that you can have a weapon that, you know, maybe isn't great if you don't roll well, but if you do roll well, you do a lot of damage. Like I'm looking at the mall where if you roll a one, it's one damage. If you roll a six, it's 13 damage. Yeah. Which is, I think not the highest, but pretty up there. Yeah. The highest on this chart on a roll of six is 14. So like there's a lot of like if you want to use a mall you're kind of uh leaning into that swinginess even though all you're doing is rolling a d6 yeah a thing i liked too uh from the dm perspective is one that makes it easy you just have that it's like a page with all of the damage rolls for weapons and you can just check it easily against a like monstrous sheet um but also uh monster damage like monstrous animal beast damage is also similarly divided up onto a roll system yeah so it's easy to check at a glance and one thing that i find interesting is that there is a a decent list of spells like i think there's i want to say well let's see page 69 67 66 there's let's say 10 pages of spells or so yeah from 
page 58 to 69, even though a couple of those pages are full page illustrations. Uh, so there's there's a bunch of spells, but in the damage table section, there's only three spells that do damage. Yeah, a lot of them are more effect, right? Yeah. Um, and that's a, that's a cool way to do a magic system, I think, because like, um, you know, a magic system that is all about dealing damage and stuff is great. But to me, uh, especially if you want to be a like less combat focused game, which Troika is not really combat focused, it has combat in it, certainly, but that's not the only thing going on, is that like, yeah, it makes sense that you might have spells you want to use in a social situation or to get from place to place um, and not feel that you necessarily like, like, oh, I need to save my ability to cast stuff for when we're in a fight. And, you know, some of them do fight stuff. Like a bunch of them, I'm sure, do deal damage. But like, you know, your whole character was focused on friendship spells. Yeah, like one of the spells that I had was Amity, which is uh, if they fail a luck uh, or skill for enemies, they become very friendly towards the wizard as though they were an old friend. They won't act irrationally, though. And if they were already a bit of a bore, this might might not change much. And I'm also realizing really quick that out of the three spell damages, only two of them are player spells. The last one is Dragonfire, which I think is actually just literally like a dragon's breath. Yeah. And I'm so I'm looking through the Melsonian Arts Council website, and they have like a adventure for this called uh Fronds of Benevolence. And I'm very uh very taken with this title. <laughs> um we should talk about the initiative system a little bit. Do you remember much about the initiative system? Uh, not off the top of my head. I am trying to find that section in the book. It's on page 42, but, uh, the initiative system is a stack. So basically, uh, we used a digital one, but you could definitely do it with, uh, like cards, I think would be the easiest or poker chips, but basically each character gets two tokens in a stack. Uh, and then you add tokens in the stack for the enemies equal to their total combined initiative. Um, so like say eight lizard men, each have an issue of two, they get 16 tokens on the stack. Uh, and then you have a one token that is an end of round token. So you, you know, you draw from the thing and whoever goes, goes, but the thing that's kind of neat for the monsters, basically the same monster can act every time a monster card is drawn. They're not specific to the creature. They're just enemy. Um, but it also means that potentially a player can go twice in a row and potentially one player can go and then the round's over and we shuffle again. <laughs> like, Yeah, that end of round thing, I want, I, because we didn't do much combat, I'm looking at the rules right now and like looking at this, it, it's wrinkling my brain a little bit. Like, you, So you have a stack. Um, so I'm just going to, I'm going to read through a couple of sections of the rules here. So like assemble the stack during combat or at other times where it is important to know who goes first, you need to assemble the initiative stack to do this, get a container and a selection of colored dice or other convenient markers and assign each character two tokens of a single color and then add tokens for the enemies and add a distinct token from distinct from all the other ones. And that's the end of round. And then the GM removes a token from the stack at random which means that one of the tokens you remove might be the end of round and then everything goes back into the stack. Yeah. And so, yeah, the idea that like a player could go and then it's the end of round and then the enemy goes and the enemy goes and then it's the end of round, like the randomness in that, I feel like it's very 
I was going to say that's very Troika feeling like I'm almost saying like, that's so Raven. Um, <laughs> it's very chaotic. Yeah. Um, but I think that is actually like a really fascinating way to simulate combat or something like that. Is like things get chaotic. So sometimes people don't do anything, aren't able to do anything, right? It, it, it makes a certain amount of sense. I also like, because I just realized like with colored dice, like if you just have a bunch of colored D6s, you can throw them all in a bag and literally do it or like just pull them out, right? So if you don't have cards or poker chips would work, you know, that's it's pretty simple to do. And I guess you would remove monster cards once like if a monster dies, you know, you remove its initiative worth, right? Yeah, that happens at the the when you draw the end of round thing. And so, yeah, the idea that like if you're stuck underwater drowning or on fire or bleeding like you could get hit by that end of round thing several times before you get to do anything about it. I mean, this, I feel like this is something where like the randomness of it means that you probably will get to do something every round. Uh, but I'd be curious to see how that works with like a large combat as it gets smaller. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, one of the things I like about this book is that they will sometimes include a rationale for things. So they did that for the initiative system. So the random turn length adds a degree of uncertainty where you never know how much time you have left. When actions are not play, taking place, it represents hesitation, panic, or other incidental delays that can happen in a tense encounter where every second counts. The goblins have few tokens because they are cowardly, not because they are slow. The dragon has many because it knows exactly what it wants, not because it is fast. And I really like that because it it does help a GM when it comes to like, yeah, you're play you've got 16 goblins, but they don't have many tokens because they're gonna spend most of their time, you know, cowering in place, hoping that they're not gonna get hit. Whereas, yeah. I really like that idea, and I'm like, I'm curious because, like, are there for the uh, for the goblins, like, or monsters? Like, is there anything on the monster character sheets that uh, gives you advice on how those creatures work? Well, let us take a look. Goblins. Um, so, oh, right. So this is a thing. Uh, a lot of monsters have something called a mien or mien. I don't know how to say it. Uh, but it's basically a descriptor of them, like personality-wise. So for goblins, you have curious, dismissive, preoccupied, gossipy, overly friendly, and paranoid. And you would you roll a d6 to determine which one they have. <laughs> um, but yeah, they have one initiative. So for every goblin, there's one token. Um, let's see. Goblins are the vanguard of civilization. The moments. Uh, the moment a sphere bobs to the surface, the goblins creep out of the nooks and crannies and start expanding their labyrinth. Left to their own devices, they eventually tame and cover every surface in walls and hedges and tunnels and steel and whatever else is in goblin vogue. Though more usually, they are distracted with an accidental awakened evil or recalled by the goblin king or cut off from the center of the labyrinth and turned feral to live in the man city. A most terrible fate. Better to bury their labyrinths than leave. I like that even the goblins are weird. Yeah. Yeah, so, and and I've got to say that, like, all of this weirdness, like, looking at any one system in isolation, like, it kind of feels like, oh, that's neat, but it just feels weird. But then you bring everything together, and I have to say that the one thing I remember was that 
like above everything else when we were playing it felt like a very smooth experience it didn't mm-hmm. feel like there was many hiccups because we didn't understand what a rule meant or what we could do with a skill or a spell or uh you know anything like that because i remember we did get into combat once and i think we both just ran yeah like so we used the stack twice i think one was with that expanding gas form to make sure you didn't suffocate before you could do anything yeah um and the other was what there was some like like angry birds or bats or some equivalent i think that you guys had to deal with yeah um and yeah it was pretty straightforward and i think the other thing is i don't have it right in front of me but i do think there are um mechanics in place for when monsters might just run away because they're like no this is dumb (laughs) <laughs> this is bad i'm gonna leave we're getting hurt go let's let's go away um yeah it's i have a question for you actually okay because i can't remember in the adventure i at some point you switched over to the stairs did you end up going through a flight of stairs where they started expanding all around you we did not okay so there's a bit i think this is like the most troika-y bit in here right so you go up the stairs and they start expanding and elongating and weird stuff starts to happen. And as you get up, you basically find eventually, if you get through all the difficulties, a sleeping wizard. And it's literally their dreams leaking out into reality because <laughs> this is the kind of game that Troika is. Um, so speaking of the monsters and some of the encounters, I was just clicking through the kind of enemy section. And, you know, you get a lot of stuff that's standard fantasy stuff like the living dead and lizard men and goblins and stuff. But then I found, I think, I think my favorite monster in here, which is loathsome worm that will consume the sun. Okay. Uh, once upon a time or upon a distant time, the gods banded together to mold the dripping flesh of the monad into all the character creatures of the earth. One divine architect, Sneaky, lazy, or mad, consistently came up short on their daily quota of flesh-given shape. At this point, an exceptional storyteller would usually improvise a series of didactic vignettes of gods or animals, asking why the gods' work was lacking until finally the god revealed that they were saving scraps to create the loathsome worm. The thief god was usually punished, and their mad, unfinished creature confined to the veins of the earth. Since destroying either was beyond the scope of their siblings' combined godly might, uh, a trite story about the performance or permanence of evil, but a popular and partially true one. In reality, in reality, the loathsome worm is the width of an elephant with great tusks and grinding scales. Its unfinished, infinite body coils back into the depths, and it can surely level the sunlit world where it is, were it not confined to the darkness from which it stares. If one listens closely to the thresholds of caves, they may hear its whispers and promises. Treasures thrown down pits and left in cave mouths temporarily silence it. I love the special bit for it. Yeah, if killed, the stub of the creature's neck can be descended and used as an entry to the primal underworld. The worm reforms in 5,125 years. <laughs> yeah, and like, I we've said it a couple of times now, but like, this is very much the character of this game is that it's, it is weird and it is out of left field in almost every way that you can imagine. And like it's 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 I think a lot of it for me is the small details, the single sentence in 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 somewhere that you would as, like like for example, in the module that's part of the 
the rule book. Um, and I think we encountered this. Yeah, we encountered this this creature, person, entity is the pushy wall merchant that you encounter. <laughs> and there's a bunch of stuff that I could say about him, but I think one of them, the, the thing that jumps out at me from the page that tells you about this third floor passenger is that as part of the, like, I th- will say that one of the things I like about this game is that the the stats, like when they boil them down to their basics to like shove into a page in this module is that they're, they're three sentences. It's like name, skill, stamina, initiative, and then like two sentences. And one of the sentences about the pushy wall merchant is killing the merchant would be considered murder at the very least. And I said it like that because would be considered murder is in bold. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the thing is too, you would have a witness because there is uh, in the elevator, there is a mandrel servant because all of the people who work in the hotel who work as like servants and footmen and all that kind of stuff are all mandrels in suits with swords. Um, there's a mandrel servant like standing right there. Like, so there would be a witness. Yeah. And it's, it's stuff like that, that is just throughout this entire rule book. And from what I can see, from what I've seen, the community that's created content for troika has definitely picked up and run with that like there's a lot of stuff out there and it all kind of fits with this wacky theme that troika has going yeah not this uh, just looking at this has reminded me about pocket gods which is uh our little cloth puppets made in the image of numerous gods if you whisper a secret to one and throw it away you regain one luck point <laughs> And like the fact that like yeah it's just yeah you have a doll of a god you whisper a secret and throw it away <laughs> and you become more lucky is pretty interesting <laughs> I like it a lot yeah and and I think we we could keep going on about like all the different things in here all these stuff things like this you know one off sentences or weird items or the interesting spells or all the interesting enemy creatures that they've got in this book. But I think what it boils down to is that Troika is a weird game that at first glance can be off-putting. Cause I will say that that was my initial reaction when I saw the cover of Troika was what is this? Why is this a game? What, what is this? Just like a little bit of panic that like, this is a game. Why am I playing this? But after having played it, I recommend it. It is a fun game. Um, I will say that I think it probably fits certain tables better than others, depending on how silly your table is willing to get. Um, this is not the system I would use to run a serious high fantasy game. No. And it's not like it It knows what it's for. <laughs> yeah. So don't come in with any, like, preconditions on how you're going to use this like let the game teach you how to use it uh and you will have a fun time yes yeah like honestly absolutely run start a game by running the hotel thing and see how your players react and then because that was the other cool thing about that adventure at the end there's a list of quest hooks you could get yeah because you go up you know you get to your room you put your stuff away you go up to the festival upstairs and you know, you get some sort of lead or hear about this thing that's interesting and that's how it continues on. And I will say that it's it's interesting how like plenty of games have some kind of introductory module, either as part of the rule book or 
as a free PDF or something that you can get, or it's part of a beginner's box. And sometimes they try to be like, hey, how how could I use this as part of an ongoing campaign if I haven't used it already? Or, you know, used it once for one group and then dove into a homebrew campaign and I want to use this because it's fun. This one is definitely like the this the module, the what's it, the Mont Blanc and Thistle? Yeah. Um is straightforward enough that you can just use it. Although something I'm curious about is um when you were reading the uh the module, how did you picture the world surrounding this hotel? Um is like a chaotic whirling mess of like dull golden and silver buildings on dirty streets just like absolutely packed with people. Uh I like I kind of think the world setting for this looks like a stoner's fever dream, <laughs> like a real bad trip. Cuz cuz when I when I was reading through this or like when we were going through the module when we were playing the game and now when reading through it to me what's in my head is like endless weird buildings like you are in what you think is an underground cavern but it might just be that the buildings are so tall as to block out the sun <laughs> just like a wild cacophony of colors and buildings and you just happen to find a hotel in one of them yeah. um but i think either one of our readings on like the the setting of this world is definitely they're both valid and they could very possibly both exist within a couple of blocks of each other <laughs> oh exactly um yeah i so what like troika as as with all of our games uh seven bizarre experiences out of 10 <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah i think at the end of the day like i would i would recommend it um i would definitely recommend just jumping in and playing the module the black mansion thistle blancmange blancmange yeah the one that's in the rule book um, yeah because like on like if you want to get a physical copy it's uh, it's 22 pounds on their the website for the company that made the book. Yeah, or 12 bucks US if you just want a PDF. But like it's... Yeah, you can find it at itch.io. Yeah. Um, and I think they've got some... Uh, oh, they've got a system reference document. But anyways, uh, it's... And if you've bought the, um, the itch bundle for racial justice, you've got Troika. Um, so I would highly recommend like playing this game um like forget everything we've talked about forget everything we've said just go grab two three four people and play this strange enchanting game find all your metalhead friends (laughs) um especially if it's more stoner metal than black metal and play this weird ass game yeah uh no it's it's a good time and you should try it out um and i kind of at some point i think i want to maybe see about running a like mini game of this or maybe even that that uh module again at some point for some of the goblins maybe on stream yeah i think that would be a fun time this is this is a it's a game and like i can't think of an (laughs) adjective that fits this game because i think it's just so it has its own character that is hard to describe, but is highly entertaining. Yeah. Ooh, I would say we didn't really mention this with character creation, but one of the uh, delights of the game, since character creation is so quick and since it can be highly lethal, uh, you know, literally, I think the instruction is, oh, yeah, if a character dies, just have 
their next character step onto the elevator at the next level. Yeah. Because <laughs> it won't take you that long to make it. Yeah. So yeah, that's where we, we end up on this one is check it out. Go play it. This is, I think, out of all the games we reviewed so far, this is very much a, we can only say so much until you have to go just go and play it to decide for yourself. Yeah. My understanding, too, is that there's quite a community around the game. So, like, if if you're the type of person who wants to run uh, mostly modules, or if you're like me, because, like, I don't know that I could write a long adventure for this game, because, like, my brain space is not weird <laughs> enough for it, I think. Um, like, there are adventures out there. I, I will say that I feel like this is a game that is really, like, there are, there like you said, there are lots of modules but it really feels like based on the game that we played that this is like right smack dab in the middle of improv GMing. Oh yeah. Like it's not so much a game that you write, you get prepared to do a whole campaign in. it's a game that you, you get together and you play and you find out where you're going as you're playing. Yep. It's going to get real weird, (laughs) real weird. Thank goodness. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I think that's all that I've got to say about this game. All right. Well, everybody, thanks again for listening to our show. We are proud members of the Cave Goblin Podcast Network. Find us and other shows at cavegoblins.com. You can support us and our network by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash cavegoblins or by joining our Discord. Yeah, come join our Discord. Come and talk to us. We're friendly, <laughs> yeah. I swear. We want to talk about this game with more people. Come to our Discord. <laughs> uh, you can also support us by leaving a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the show. You can find us on Twitter at DMs of Vancouver or at Jesse Boros, or perhaps at Sean P. Hagen. Yep. Our theme music is Overworld by Kevin McLeod, and you can find more of his work at Incompetech.com. Our work is done by the wonderful Haley Boros. See more of her work at HaleyBoros.com. And that's all for this episode. Hope to see you out there at the gaming table or in our Discord. Actually, actually, uh, it's not quite all. There's one more thing, uh, because in a few weeks' time after this comes out, I will be... Uh, DMing a charity game on, I believe the terminal let me find that information Uh, but a charity game for Andrea's Adventurers, which is put together by our friends at Adventure Dice Um, and uh, you should come and uh, like watch it and maybe donate some money to the Canadian Cancer Society while you do that. Yeah. Uh, You can find more about that at andreasadventurers.ca um, but I will be running on June 5th from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. with Xanthia, Talia, Cam, and Tori. So please come and tune in. And uh, I think if you donate certain amounts while we're playing, you can like introduce complications or give people inspiration or nat 20s and stuff like that. So come and interfere with my GMing, please. <laughs> I, I only ask that you do it on things like this. <laughs> yeah, go watch. It's going to be fun. Um, but i think that is it for us thanks uh thanks again to tori for playing troika with us this was definitely a fun game to play and i'm yeah i'd like to play it again but the episode is over can't talk about it anymore bye hey wait did you know that she's preparing a game to run for the two of us what Ooh, that'll come up at some point (laughs) thanks for listening bye (laughs) bye
Revolver is the new weekly show on the Cave Goblin Network, exclusive to Patreon backers of just $1 or more. Each series lasts for a maximum of 12 episodes, then switches hosts and premises. Series 2 is Tabletop Tales, hosted by me, Jesse Boros, where I interview people about memorable stories from their tabletop gaming sessions. Hear the adventures at patreon.com slash cavegoblins. Hey there, lovely listeners. I'm Talia Murdoch, and I'm here to tell you about my show, Everything Economics. Every week, I talk about the world around you, specific social and economic issues, and dive into how fantasy realms would work in real life. That's Everything Economics on the Cave Goblin Network. This is a Cave Goblin podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit cavegoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program.